Welcome to the Sam Gash Podcast, where I chat with peak performing individuals about their why, how, their challenges and vulnerabilities, as well as their strategies and tactics. I believe these individuals will empower you to find small ways every single day to create a positive impact for you and your community. I'm your host, Samantha Gash. I'm a former corporate lawyer turned endurance athlete, international keynote speaker and social impact entrepreneur. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning into the very first Sangash podcast. <sighs> I need to let out a big sigh because I am not particularly comfortable in this space. I have wanted to do a podcast for quite some time, but I have let a lot of excuses stop me from starting in a space that I'm not familiar with. A couple of years ago, I even went to the efforts of flying to India to record a live interview uh, with an incredible man called Milan Soman. And my good friend Nick Davidson came over with me. We had these intentions of launching a six-part series that was both a podcast but also also a video campaign component to it. But even though that episode is in the can, for whatever reason, we never actually launched it. And I think it's because I have become comfortable in a space of running long distances in extreme environments, connecting those runs with social campaign initiatives. You know, what many people would consider as challenging, extreme, um, fearful, I actually am comfortable in that space. But just because you become comfortable in one space that's you know, unpredictable and unfamiliar to yourself doesn't mean that that always transfers into other arenas. So this is something new for me and I would like to ask for just some patience and grace as I learn this new thing. I don't imagine that I'm going to be particularly great at the beginning because rarely are we, you know, rarely do we pick up all the skill sets immediately. Um, ugh, but, you know, I'm giving it a shot because I can no longer use the excuse of time to not actually make this podcast a reality. It's not how I imagined that I would first launch a podcast I don't have great um, internet reception at home, um, so I've had to, you know, record parts of this in my car, um, at a friend's house, and, you know, I I can't be assured that the um, audio will be fantastic. I'll work on that, I promise. Uh, I also imagine that I would always do my interviews face-to-face because I am someone that definitely vibes off the energy and connection that I get with people in the real world. But the next best plan uh, is that... I use this time to still produce something that I think can be of value. You know, in terms of my exposure um, and situation right now, because of the coronavirus, I've actually have no source of work that I typically do. I'm a corporate speaker. I speak around Australia and also overseas. But as you can imagine, I am grounded. There is no flights. There's no conferences. And so I've really had to reevaluate how I submit in that space um, and be relaxed, but also to to still keep moving forward. And for me, um, moving forward means doing things that I find of purpose and of value. And this is potentially an avenue for me to be able to explore that. I'm more than welcome to receive feedback. So shoot it my way and I'll do my best to take it on the chin and also to use it to learn to be better. This interview that you're about to hear is with an incredible trail runner, doctor, a community member called Dr. Cheryl Martin, or as she likes to be referred to as Shez. 
I know her because of uh, what she does on the trail space, but I, in recent times, have been very aware of the role that she plays as a medical practitioner in releasing information um, that's very accessible in the way she chooses to share it. What's been happening with the coronavirus has led a lot of us into uncertainty. There's been loads of information, some of it conflicting, some of it misinterpreted, some of it ignored. I feel what Cheryl has to share is really rational, calm advice. And so even since we recorded this interview just a couple of hours ago, there have even been changes to the restrictions in play in Australia in order to protect um, those from the contraction of the coronavirus. This information is going to be evolving. But what I will say is the essence and the advice that's been shared in this podcast is highly relevant and, and I personally found it quite helpful. So with that, I hope you enjoy. And yeah, all I can say is we are all in this together and I've actually never felt more connected, even though we are disconnected in other sense. Ah, uh, okay. So how are you going? <laughs> I'm good, Sam. Thank you. How are you? Are you start. Yeah, oh me. Oh yeah, me. Um I'm okay. I this is obviously our second crack <laughs> at doing this interview. And I think there's a couple of reasons uh, for that. I think the first thing is my complete inexperience. Having ever done a podcast and I actually have quite a bit of fear about recording a podcast. I'm not technically uh, well-versed. It's something that I always outsource. And because um, my family have chosen to self-isolate, I'm not in the company of someone else who can help me with that. And then I think you and I both wanted to do this uh, and give it a second crack because we are your very typical type A personalities that really want to create a perfect product for people that shares this I guess, balance of information, but also helpful strategies that kind of helps people feel um, a reduction in the overwhelm that they might feeling, as well as the constant, you know, evolving the information that's coming out. So take two for you and I, I think it's worth giving a bit of context to how you and I know each other, because I guess we know each other through the trails, not at all through our professional pursuits. I guess my understanding of you is you are very community focused when it comes to the way you even spend your time on the trails. I always remember you as the person that is so fast, but will always choose to give up your perfect race if it means that you can go and spend time with other people, typically more at the back of the pack, because you love to high five, you love to chat. Uh, so that's my recollection of you from the trails. Thank you, Sam. That's very nice of you to see. But I, I mean, I'm very honoured and I am really grateful for this opportunity to talk particularly with you. Um, so my, to give some context on, on my impression of you and any time we have met, um, I, I mean, I think you're exceptional and you really have, I think that's why it's so important I'm having this conversation with you is you're someone who really can mobilize community and really engage deeply and have connections you know just in small communities but also globally you have a strong platform and I mean we've already we are a nation reeling from bushfires as we discussed um, last week and you know I, I, seeing you really mobilize and bring some hope through relief run and you know we all got on board with that and they have so much opportunity to connect and to really find purpose um, in crisis and I really feel this has never been more imperative at this time 
I also have the same anxieties that we, you know, we share reliable information here. And I'm, I don't want to spread, you know, the, the, the signal to noise ratio, as we've also discussed, is blaring. And there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger, denial. Um, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and I think the purpose of this is to find some clarity amidst that and to really empower our community. This this is a, a global public health crisis. Um, we are all in it together. And what we do, um, not only as individuals, but together as a community, really matters. Um, and you probably oh. have been a group of doctors quite so vocal on their soapboxes. Um, so, you know, I think this is very important. Uh, I think you've summed, I guess, what the intention of this interview is about. Uh, it is about sharing information. I think the information that we are well, the reactions that people are having globally, but let's just focus on Australia right now, I think is so varied. You've got uh, a sector of society who are taking it very, very seriously, who are going beyond what are the government's requirements of so, um, social distancing and are actually isolating. And perhaps that's because their jobs allow them to work remotely already. Uh, and there's some people who just cannot have the choice of self-isolating um, if they still have opportunity to earn an income through going into work. But then you've also got this other segment of society that haven't seemed to really even come on board with the importance of social distancing. And I know you and I, well, let me just speak for myself. I am having mini mind explosions when I see via social media people just physically connecting um, right now and I'm working very hard to control what I can control and we shouldn't be feeling more overwhelmed personally because other people are choosing to respond differently at this point in time. But I hope that this interview, as you said, just provides some clarity on what's actually happening right now. And I, I really wanted to do this with you as a, an emergency doctor, someone who has quite um, knowledge on public health, what this crisis is, but also where it could go to um, if it evolves further like it has in other countries so could you just give a, a bit of an overview of what you do uh, as your role as an emergency doctor okay um so just you know some preamble that i am not a public health expert i'm not an infectious disease doctor but as you see i am one of those doctors who's going to be on the front line and you've probably seen many of my colleagues so intensive care physicians, emergency physicians, um, our nursing colleagues, our paramedic colleagues and our general practitioners who are at that front first line, um, who are actually going to be seeing patients um, as we progress um, through this pandemic. Um, and I'm really grateful to my very smart and respected colleagues for, for stepping up and speaking out and for also my experts in the areas of public health and um, helping and empowering us to also play our part here but I mean this is not just this is it matters at all levels we're relying on you know government on um, defense on military on on medicine on but mostly on community and um, to really respond to this crisis so I, I think we, we will go into a bit more um, specifics about the virus itself but my job on a day-to-day -day basis is seeing people who are sick um, and having you know having probably the worst day of their lives and my job is um, to <laughs> do all I can to make that better and get them the right care they need so for the past 24 hours to give you an example of things that might typically roll in my door so anything from trauma to heart attacks to strokes to life-threatening 
uh, blood clots or allergic reactions or people needing emergency surgery, people maybe with a new diagnosis of cancer. So all of those things have walked through my doors in the past 24 hours and they are still going to walk through and they, these conditions don't get a memo that a pandemic is unfolding. And um, we're also coming into winter and to flu season. Um, so all of these things are always compounded and our ability to respond at any time is always that bit more challenging um, at that time of year. Yeah. So if we let um, an infectious disease that's new that we don't have immunity to proceed to transmit through our community unchecked, it's really just a numbers game. We're going to overwhelm and flood the system and then everything that has a knock-on effect on our ability to provide the best standard of care and we have a fantastic um, healthcare system in Australia we're very fortunate um, but if even our systems can be overwhelmed I and mean, we're seeing that across the world right now and really heartbreaking stories from my colleagues you know make no mistake that you know in Italy and China they have I mean they're really us to their response and you know the standard of care they've been able to provide in adverse circumstances and these are healthcare systems very similar to our own so uh, you know I think we have to to make that point quite clear um we can't be complacent here we could be in the same situation which I guess is where we're hearing um, the phrase, you know, flood the curve. Mm. It's not about removing coronavirus because that's that's here at the moment. It's about helping the medical system be able to treat those who are infected, but also pre-existing or completely non-related medical issues that are going to come to your door. Exactly. And I think flatten the curve. I mean, it's it's even for us that these are new terms. Um, as I say, we're not public health physicians. And, you know, this this idea of just spreading out the infection, allowing us to deal with all of the other things and the infections as they come without this surge um, that overwhelms us is very important. And then if we can spread that out to later on in the year and, and we will get a vaccine, um, it will come in time, um, then you know all of these things are, are buying us time. Um, they're also giving us time to prepare behind the scenes and make no mistake, there is a lot of preparation that I am I'm uh, really uh, humbled and um, so proud of, of seeing my, you know, my colleagues, and not just um, across Australia, but across the world, um, really working together hard to get all the reliable information to help each other. Um, we had uh, 950 members of the Australian College of Emergency Medicine crash the internet uh, two days ago as we all uh, logged in for a global webinar. Um, our colleagues um, in the Australian and Intensive Care, New Zealand Intensive Care Society have been churning out guidelines um, at lightning pace. Um, it's it's just been fantastic. That is, you know, it's actually so um, refreshing to think that, you know, there are medical practitioners all over Australia and globally working together to try mm. and um, obviously mm. create not just a vaccine, which is, you know, critical, but also mm. um global responses to helping each country deal with what is their situation and you know obviously there's a whole range of you know different circumstances that might change how this virus spreads from country to country but there are definitely similarities across the board and so are you finding right now that your role 
you know, as an emergency doctor has pivoted with this global pandemic? Yeah, so I think we're in this interesting dynamic at the moment where it is the calm before the storm and we know that what we do now is is critical. Um, you'll have seen, you know, our, our leaders in government really stressing that that the time to, to make the difference for what might um, come in the next couple of weeks is really important. So all of these precious days and hours at the moment we're preparing but you know the day job is still there um so it's trying to strike that balance of being prepared and you know I mean this is what we trained for is is the bottom line and I think the the kind of critical care mantra would be you know go hard you know prepare for the worst hope for the best and you know I think that you know the community should be assured that we are doing all we can but I think we've realized we cannot do this alone and I, I mean I, I hate to use that we we kind of use that expression of we're we're sitting there in the trenches we're doing all that we can but we really feel it's important to to really mobilize all the support we can and community support here in this public health movement is going to be really um helpful in in helping us helping us win here essentially against this you know un, it's a silent threat we can't see it I think it's a very difficult concept to something that might not affect you uh, directly that you can't see um it could what you do today could really influence somebody else and that might be your neighbor your friend your family I mean I'm not just a doctor I'm a daughter I'm a sister I'm a granddaughter and you know I'm a, I'm a runner I'm a I'm part of the yoga community I'm part of I'm a citizen of the world so I feel everybody else um and I know that what we can do here together is um it really matters okay so what I want to know right now and this is on a personal level for you how do you think the government's policies are tracking with where the medical profession believes we need to be at? Yeah, so I mean, I don't think um, really, I mean, you're seeing, you know, I think our government, you know, they're, they're, there's very smart people at head of government, really with working with public health officials, working with logisticians to 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 plan carefully how we phase this response um, to flatten the curve. And you've seen a rollout of a number of measures and, uh, you know, we can link into some, you know, reliable resources, both in the public health um, Australian government website, but also um, the World Health Organization website and just up to date information. But you'll see that this situation is changing radically and that. I think the, the, I suppose the general feeling amongst the medical community is that what seemed really extreme last week seems too late today. And, you know, I think we're, we're seeing that, that if we can't flatten this curve fast enough, then the measures become more radical and more drastic. But I think that what has been rolled out now, it's really important that we get that message quite clear and that, that we do all of these things um, because, you know, government are trying to balance that with supporting there's so much fallout here um, economically, you know, we're still, we're most worried about our vulnerable and marginalised, but there's there's so many um, sequelae and repercussions. Um, and I think getting the basics right, I mean, I think we're probably, you know, we've got some advantages that we're seeing what's playing out across the world so we can learn from that. But every country is different in its makeup and its ability to respond. So again, people much smarter than me are thinking about these things behind the scenes. Um, but I think, you know, personally, I, I mean, I, I stopped a lot of things three weeks ago and I, you know, I'm in a situation where I, I'm working in a high risk environment of transmitting this, um, not only in my work environment, but also out there and publicly. 
Um, and I think that the more we can educate about, uh, you know, who, what what does social distancing or you know, I heard the term physical distancing today. I think that's probably a more usable, practical term because we actually don't want to socially you know, we're not abandoning each other. I think that's, uh, you know, an important point to come across. Yeah, and there's been some beautiful examples globally of where this has encouraged people to connect more deeply because we're all in this situation together. So, I mean, there is always silver linings um, of the way a society is asked to step up during a crisis. Um, I never want to diminish the fact that there will be, you know, some people in society who will be deeply, deeply affected by this, there will be fatalities. And so, I, of course, that's going to occur. But there are also some, there's some glimmers of hope of how potentially we're being asked to, to step up now, but also how that can have a ripple effect to how we connect with each other in the future as well. What I'd love to know is, you know, with the social distancing, and, and I can't exactly remember how long we've been asked to do that by the government, but is it correct in saying that we don't yet know the effects of that requirement to socially distance in terms of the way it's playing out in the medical sense for at least another week or so? Yes. So uh, there's some really nice infograms out there. Um, we haven't spoken about how the actual virus itself and how it spreads. But if you have the virus, um, I mean, it, it, we, we didn't really go into the um, the difference between social or self-isolation and quarantine. So at the moment, you know, if you have the condition, if you've been tested for it, or if you've been in close contact, you are, you are in strict isolation at home if you're well enough. If you're not well enough, you're in hospital being isolated. Um, and, you know, there's some very good we, um, get specific guidelines for people in that situation. So they are at home. People who have just returned from overseas are in the same situation, essentially in quarantine, monitoring for symptoms for 14 days. So for the rest of us, you know, the, the way this spreads, if we, if we have it, it's it's pretty infectious. So we could potentially spread that to two, three, maybe even four people unwittingly. I think the idea that you could have this virus um, be either incubating it or may not get very much, many symptoms, but still spread it is important. The way the the, the SARS coronavirus two spreads, um, so COVID nineteen is the disease that it causes, uh, is through respiratory droplets. So you know, there's been a big public health movement here for simple hand washing. You touch your face or your mouth, and you, you spread that those droplets. You then touch other things or other people, and um, particularly things where the virus might actually hang around for quite a while. So your phones or your um, laptops, your watches, all of these things could potentially be harboring the virus. It, doing that and then unwittingly spreading it to four friends who then spread it to another four friends, and you get this exponential increase. Um, and, and that's why we're seeing that, you know, that that's the potential if you let this spread unchecked. And um, it's challenging because we are heading into winter and some people are getting symptoms that you would get with a common cold or with a flu. Uh, and so I think, you know, anytime you've got a sniffle at the moment or you've got a dry throat or you've got a cough, you know, everyone's thinking, well, maybe I have, you know, the virus. Uh, and there's that potential, but there's also that potential to have the virus but have no idea about it. And I think that's why social distancing is so critical right now because you could be walking around thinking that you're completely fine and trying to have the right intention about moving about your day, but 
you could be passing it on to your loved ones or complete strangers at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, we're not in a position at the moment. Um, you know, we've got, it, it's great that we've managed to actually find a test for this um, virus and, you know, we're spreading testing kits across the world, but we're still, you know, trying to produce more. And anytime we can buy it allows us to actually produce more and to test more widely. We've just extended um, that window of people um, who are testing. And, you know, once we start to see this sustained community spread, we don't know, you know, who, who's got it and who is spreading it. So you get to the situation and certainly in hospital, we're already there where I assume I have it. I assume my colleague has it and I assume my patient's coming in. We have to screen visitors. You know, we have to be very careful about who we let into the department and out. So all of these things are already taking places and um, place in hospitals and high risk environments. Um is, is, is there limitations on how many people we're able to test? Like how many testing facilities and um, tests yeah. do we have? So I think that again is a maths equation at the moment. It's how many tests have we got and how much capacity to, do we have to test? You know, in the ideal situation, you test widely and broadly. I mean, that's the message of the World Health Organization. So test, test, test. You've probably heard quite a few times, um, Dr. Tedros has, has said. But, you know, you, you have to target when you've only got limited amounts of kits you have to target the high risk groups first we've just extended that to healthcare workers to um to people in aged care settings um so we've also got return travelers and people in close contact with confirmed cases and you might see that um, extend and obviously in hospital we're able to test sicker patients with severe pneumonias as well and and how often how long will it take typically from when you get tested to when you get the results yeah, so that's been very variable. Um, so I tested someone the other day and actually got a result within 20, it's just over 24 hours. So that's pretty good. Um, so uh, yeah, that has been variable. And, you know, there's a lot of factors depending on how many tests. There's, yeah, there's again a capacity issue. Um, but a lot of our fever clinics are really operating very slickly now, which is good to know. And how often would someone like yourself, who's a medical practitioner, who's in front of, you know, six sick um, patients all the time how often would you be getting tested yeah so I mean at the moment we are you know fortunately we're, we're still in this early phase and that's why you know we're really pushing the public health movement where we haven't seen those very sick patients with COVID come through yet but you know some some uh, states have started to see that some of the bigger cities and certainly I'm seeing that across the world and places like Britain are starting to see that in the bigger cities we will be able to be tested when we get sick and obviously you know our, our risk is that we don't want to spread it to each other we don't want to spread it to patients so we're you know we're in the middle of our daily upscaling and how to use personal protective equipment because you know keeping each other safe is going to be very important and keeping other patients safe and um, so that's you're you're seeing that across the board we're rapidly upscaling we'll be simulating again every day next week um in how to do that and how to spot each other and you've probably also seen that you know there is a, a shortage of that equipment um, so you know we want to buy time to produce more of it as well so that's the other thing so there's so many advantages of flattening this curve it, it there's it's only a win um the more we do now is really going to impact how we fare um through the winter well let's let's talk about what we can do now because i guess everyone has the opportunity to do their best part right now. Um, there's been a lot of conversation online, on personal, you know, communications between friends about what we're seeing in the public. And as I alluded to before, we're getting very varied responses about how people are choosing to protect themselves and protect other people from um, potentially 
um, being infected. You know, there were images uh, at Bondi Beach of I think there was like 15,000 people on Thursday or Friday that were on the beach in close proximity. Um, I won't lie, a couple of those people were my friends um, and I saw their images on social media and I, you know, I kind of wrote a text message to a couple of them going, that's not social distancing. And then Mark responded to me, like, just let people be be them. So I I feel that there is anxiety between people in the public of trying to caution other people to be careful, but they're not wanting to overstep their bounds. So let's just have this conversation of what social distancing really looks like, because I feel this podcast can be an opportunity to provide clarity of, of what it really means, because I think people are trying to do the right thing. You know, some people think, okay, I, I'm trying to keep away from people, but I'm going to go and do a, a group run with a bunch of other people. And, and what's your feelings on group training sessions right now or being in cafes with people or, you know, what do you think about this? No, so I agree this is an important conversation and I think it is a very tricky conversation and I know I mean we also know that the climate is changing rapidly and you know we've got places in other countries where what social distancing means and how that's in, in, enforced is is very different um, and that's depending on how you know how bad things are and you know we could get there so you know if we don't do the basics now we might be in a situation where it, these only get stricter they only get tighter in terms of um, uh, the, the restrictions placed on us um, so you know as we stand here we're we're you know firmly in the social distancing or physical distancing I like that's my new yeah I like that that one too we still want to be socially supportive and I think the you know I I saw the images from Bondi actually this morning I just saw on the news they've actually closed Bondi they have you know and I I understand the full spectrum of of responses here because that's to be expected but I think if the more of us that can educate and empower each other I mean, this has the same impact. You know, we can go faster than the virus. We've said that we can in, in terms of how we respond and support the people around us. We we know that this virus, we've talked about how it spreads. You know, if you cough or sneeze or touch something, you know, you might spread it. We, we've talked about this six feet or 1.5 meters. So that's the reason for this distancing. I mean, I'm personally finding this challenging. I, I'm a firm handshaker. I you know, my favorite thing to do in emergency department with my my kids is give them a high five after they've had their plaster on or or when they're so much better so I can't do we're, we're we're getting a bit creative with some elbow bumps and a few other things <laughs> I've done the foot tapping <laughs> but we're seeing some great things in terms of you know the hand washing movement you know what my dad uh, looking around the men's loo saying you know these guys look like they're preparing for surgery you know my brother is coming up with football songs to sing while he's washing his hands um, and you know these things are good across the board there's so much good that can come out of this probably good moving forward strategies as well because we probably don't wash our hands as much as we should on a day-to-day basis so we're probably getting back to what is uh, appropriate um, hand sanitation anyway and you've already talked about your global experiences in developing countries and you still got to remember that infectious disease is one of the biggest killers and you know vaccination penicillin um, hand washing and sanitization saves lives so, you know, going to the specifics of the social distancing at the moment, if you are in a position to work from home, then do that. I think more is is more is better. Um, for some people, that might not be possible. Obviously, I have to go into work. 
um if you you know and you still um so taking all the precautions we've said about you know cleaning phones and laptops and keeping you know younger people away from elderly particularly kids because the elderly are the more vulnerable we've also got to make sure that they've got food in some of my mum's you know currently you know going you know very cautiously and taking all the precautions to make sure my nana who's um at home has um you know that has shopping in and she she feels supported unfortunately my 90 year old nana knows how to work facetime so uh she's not totally isolated which is good but there's many people that will be um and so it's being sensible about that. We've already seen restrictions on group gatherings. Um, and again, you know, I, I feel that more is better. If you can stay at home, that's important. Um, and this is where we have to start getting clever about how we, we keep our spirits up. We bolster ourselves at, at this really challenging time. We are quite lucky, or maybe not lucky at the moment, because in Australia, there's not heavy, heavy restrictions on what you do in an outdoor space. Um, I think it's 500 people, um, you know, it was restricted to. But I think we're seeing, particularly in places like California and obviously Italy, people can't even leave their houses. Yeah, and that's because reach this crisis situation but then you've got countries where I was on the phone to a colleague in Singapore who you know these are countries with SARS experience and you know quite quickly they mobilized a response and um, put quite you know firm um, restrictions in place and when people are quarantined um, or in actual self-isolation they are checked in on um, by police four times a day Um, they also have to have temperature checks you know seeing all of that kind of thing and and you know they People are physically distancing and staying at home and, and really taking quite um, a serious approach to it. Um, other countries of, you know, the, the number of people and we might see that change. I mean, I think our prime minister just said this morning, this this is, you know, this is something that is changing daily, if not early at the moment. And I think the more we can do now and the more we can educate those around us, you know, we, we, we might not get there where it, where it is in that you know, again, this term lockdown, we don't want to be there. Yeah, my sister, uh, until last week, you know, Cass, who you know, uh, was working and living in Thailand and to enter into buildings, they were having their temperature checked. Uh, And so Mm. I think a a country's culture plays a huge role in how people act in in times of crisis. And I think for Australia... For the most of us, we have never experienced something like this before mm. where we've been asked to socially um, interact in a different type of way, where we haven't experienced a nationwide, you know, um, you know, health crisis that's affecting everyone or that everyone potentially can be, can affect someone next to them. And I think we are a little bit slow to respond on the whole. Uh, we have a culture where we're very relaxed and fun-natured and we you know, we think she'll be right. It won't happen to me. And I, I think this is our time to realise we can be all right. Well, not everyone, but, you know, maybe most of us can be right if we act now. And I mean, I think that's the thing. It, it, uh, we've, we've spoken about before. It's this big act of social solidarity. And, you know, I, I mean, it, this has potential to impact everyone, but it's particularly those you know, older, the the marginalised, the more vulnerable um, members of our society. Um, and then, you know, and I think we're going to go on to talk about this, you know, the, the, the real plus side of that common supportive, um, she'll be right attitude is that we can actually really harness that in this setting to really support each other. We saw that through the bushfire crisis. 
and that was you you're I mean what you did there was and the way you mobilize people that's that that was incredible and you know seeing that I know that we can do that in this situation I've no doubt we can. Um, Shez, do you think it's because with the bushfire we could see the flames, you know, people could smell the smoke, that they rallied possibly quicker? This is this unseen virus that, you know, for, for many of us it hasn't personally affected us. Some people are still able to go to work. Um, I think that I have quickly gotten on board with it because my entire capacity to earn income has gone. I, all my... I'm grounded. I can't travel overseas. You know, I'm not able to do conferences because obviously all conferences and events have been cancelled at least for the next six months, if not indefinitely for the entire 2020. And I think sometimes when you get affected personally by it in some type of way, there's this ability to submit a little bit quickly to stop the resistance and just go, okay, I need to do whatever I can do to help this situation. And so I I think it is challenging for those people who haven't been yet affected to realise how serious they can possibly get. Would you you agree with that? And and more than that, it's not only that, it's potentially causing them great hardship and great inconvenience. Um, So, yeah, I agree. Um, But I don't want us to be in a situation in a couple of weeks' time where we're actually seeing the fallout of this and then people are realising, oh, this was serious. And and it's hard to get that balance because you don't... we actually don't want to, we just want to mobilize people. And, you know, I would be very happy if we went hard and we did all this and, you know, we just, we just had a really tough winter season. Um, that would be the best outcome here. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who are going to do it very tough financially, um, but there are a lot of great initiatives that have um, come out, even in just the last week or so. Um, you know, banks have come on board to potentially help people press pause to their mortgage repayments. You know, there's been stimulus packages rolled out for small businesses. There's been a lot of social media campaigning to support small businesses. Yeah. Uh, and I've spoken to a bunch of my friends who own small businesses mm. um, that they've you know, they were expecting some very hard um, financial consequences over the past week, but it hasn't been as bad as they thought because everyone's got it in the forefront of their mind. We don't want these people to lose their livelihood. So I think that there are things that are going to unravel out to support those who are being the worst affected. Mm. And I think we always forget that the smallest things that we might do for someone else can have a massive ripple effect onto them. So, you know, even putting on, you know, your neighbor's front doorstep a couple of rolls of toilet paper. Yeah. Imagine how that makes them feel. And also imagine what psyche that plays into them to think, okay, well, what can I do for someone else? And the smallest things can be so they can be game changers right now. I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm sitting here smiling and, and feeling quite, <laughs> thinking of all the nice and amazing things I'm seeing around me at the moment. Um, I mean, even in our running community, you know, a lot of people are facing all, I mean, my race, I was supposed to be going over to Scotland in April for a, a, a conference um, and also the Highland Fling was one of my bucket list races. And, you know, I, we, they, that was cancelled very early because Britain are a little bit ahead of us in, in this um, pandemic. And, you know, I was 100% supportive. I was really great that those decisions were being made. But, you know, it was good to see we, you know, people donating, we all donated our 
obviously we wanted to support our race directors and I think that's really important at this time that's local business um but any um funds left over uh, were devoted uh, devoted to the local food bank which they support every year and uh, you know unanimously people said yep that's great my race fee can go there um I'm seeing uh, you know in our yoga community people going online and doing virtual classes and group meditations um you know so many good things that I you know taking a lot of my favorite local cafes and restaurants, making their full menus takeout. So I think it's really important to use those opportunities. Um, I I live in quite a small flat um, complex here and don't know my neighbors that well, actually. I, I, I've i just realized that I think working a lot of weekends that you know, maybe social um, kind of isolation, you know, my life hasn't changed that much, but um, I've connected, uh, you know, with, with my neighbors, we're looking out for each other. And I think those things are, are great. Um, so we can all do something and we can all do something today. Um, and I, I, I'd like, this is where I'm going to put it over to you because you know, I've seen you do wonderful things in this space. Um, let's start this viral kindness epidemic. Let's 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 go faster. Yeah, and and there is a lot of suggestions. The first thing that I'm I'm noticing is, you know, when you are going out in public, because you want to be um, doing the right thing. Mm. I think a lot of people have got their heads down, trying to create distance, mm. but it actually doesn't take much to lift your head up and look at someone and smile. Yeah. Um, if you do interact with someone in a store, um, one of your small businesses, you know, it's always nice to ask them how they are. I was um, I went to the grocery store the other day and I've got to, I've got to acknowledge that sometimes when I go to the grocery store, I'm on my phone um, and I'm having a phone conversation and I'm not connecting with um, the person who's uh, at the checkout. Mm. And I'm consciously not doing that right now. And I'm always asking how they are. And the other day, this lady was just like, I really hate my job right now. People are being, and she used a couple of words of profanity. And I just smiled at her and I was like, you're doing a really great job and and I appreciate you. And her response was, I'm giving you a free bag. (laughs) Uh, I'm not charging you the 15 cents for your bag. People need small acts of kindness. And it's, you don't have to do much to give a small act of kindness. It's um, a smile. It's um, a look of acknowledgement. Uh, and we're not breaking the rules of social distancing and we're not passing on, you know, the threat of this virus by doing those types of things. Uh, so it's, it's the little things. Yeah, our, our loo paper um, factories and manufacturers are working harder than anyone right now. I mean, that that supply is going to keep up. Um, so, I mean, you've heard on and on about the panic buying. And, and you know, that, that panic is fear-driven. Um, but you know, we, we, we will get on top of that. Um, I think we have to trust there that there's a whole lot of people behind the scenes really mobilising to respond. Well, mental health is definitely something that I'm concerned about. Um, there's the mental health issue that was going to stem from the constant change. And, and we're seeing a lot of change because the government's changing policy as they understand what um, is going on, as they understand what our you know, country situation is. There is uh, mental health issues because people are isolating uh, and there's mental health issues because people have lost their form of income. And so I guess let's let's pass on a couple of ideas, you know, from our perspectives of what we are personally doing to support ourselves uh, on a mental health level. And I'll, I'll take it away for you. Um, what are you doing in your situation? Yeah, so I think this is so important and this is actually one of my biggest 
fears in, in this situation that, that we were already, I mean, I'll, I'll start with my own professional community and I've been quite outspoken um, about mental health issues in, in the health professional space because we know that we are a more vulnerable group and, and you know, that I've really kind of pleasing in the past couple of years to see us kind of acknowledge that and really start to think about smarter about it. So I, I'm having to, to think quite you know, we're having to get a bit creative about how we support each other through this, because um, I know for, you know, my colleagues, this is going to be challenging, you know, fatigue management is going to be challenging, you know, dealing with what's coming their way. Um, I am, um, I think starting to acknowledge it is one, I'm, you know, trying to, I'm going to be doing, you know, we, we both, you know, work and have spent a lot of time in, in the yoga space and, and know the, you know, the benefits of yoga as a tool to really it's self-regulation and how to kind of change your perspective when you can't control anything else. So we're going to do a couple of um, online um, meditations and breath practices that will start to roll out. We'll think about we can't do communal food and things like that to support and group nights out. So that's all going to have to change. So I will have to think about smarter about how we do that. Um, I mean, personally, on a personal level, I, you know, I've got my yoga mat out there all the time I am um, um, I've got my little home workouts if I need to I'm pretty good at dancing around the uh, kitchen with my hairbrush and I have you know I've got, I'm lucky to have good internet connection here I had an, a nice uh, international FaceTime call with uh, four generations of the family um, which was really good so I think all of those things I'm going to be doing on for my own personal um, well-being but then thinking all the things that we've said in terms of paying it forward and random acts of kindness these things all matter um you know globally just being aware that people are struggling and acknowledging it and you know smiling <laughs> that, that those simple things can change an attitude because there's so many things we can't control here I think that leads beautifully into a um, text message I received from um, my friend Jamie Sketchley, who I think you might know. He he sent me a message that says, I can't control, I can control. And, and under the I cannot control, it's if others follow the rules of social distancing. I can't control the actions of others. No. I can't control predicting what will happen, mm. other people's motives, how others react, how long this will last and the amount of toilet paper at the store, <laughs> which I love how toilet paper has become such a discussion. But um, it does say what I can control and therefore these are the things I choose to focus on. My positive attitude, how I will follow the recommendations, my own social distancing, my kindness and grace, limiting my social media, turning off the news, and finding fun things to do at home. Yeah. I love that. So Jamie sent it to me because I think he was worried about me mm. knowing that I live a very fast-paced life normally. I'm, I'm constantly travelling. I always have a lot of goals um, on the go. And he was aware that a lot of that stuff has been removed. And he sent that to me because I guess he was doing his, you know, version of checking up on a friend. And I... Just the fact that he did that, even beyond the tips that it gave me, gave me a sense of calm that, you know, other people are caring about my welfare. And I guess the essence of this interview is for also other people to know that you and I are caring about other people's welfare. And, you know, we can't control everything right now. And I, again, A-type personality, my default setting is to be very overwhelmed by that. 
I'm someone who likes to know what's happening um, tomorrow, the next day, four months down the track and a year down the track. And I'm, I'm in trying to embrace a version of release and the beauty that's coming from that is I am spending far more time with my family. Um, Mark and I are doing things that we have always said, oh, if, if we have time, you know, we'll set up a veggie patch or we'll create a cubby for Harry. Um, you know, we'll spend a few more hours in the morning together. And this past week, we have been focusing on just those things. We're not trying to get into problem-solving mode. We're not trying to get into creating a solution for the clients that we, you know, we're going to be doing corporate keynote engagements with. We said there'll be time for that down the track. Right now, let's just get back to basics because once we learn to feel comfortable with slowing down our pace, maybe things will be okay for the next moment. And I think we're just trying to control the everyday, the present and I, I actually hope that we take that with us when times go back to a bit more like what they used to be. Yeah, there's so many opportunities here to, you know, check out, check in. And I, you know, I think it is about care. And, you know, you're somebody I worry about because you do take all of this on board. And Jamie, somebody who also does that, we feel that responsibility around us. But it's great that he's checking in on you. I mean, he, he you know, part of my when we're talking about mental health, part of his advocacy in our running community has been what's inspired my actual kind of advocacy in my my professional community because it was something that was lacking there, that that ability to acknowledge and, and speak openly and really help other people. Um, so, And I've seen that through your platforms. Um, I'll put up a, I, I say these things like, I'll put up a link for, you know, Cheryl Martin's account. I have no idea how I'm going to do that because I don't know anything about technology or even publishing this podcast yet. But step by step, I will, um, actually, what's your, let's find your handle right now. Actually, how about you share your handle so people can follow it? We should link into the the health.gov site um, just for useful resources as well. So I'll, I'll send you those links. Um, and Cheryl's um, Instagram handle is mindful uh, with a double L medic. And, and I've really liked, and that's why I connected out to you, because I was thinking, who's in my community who's a medical practitioner? And straight away you came to my mind. And then I went through your account and I saw all the things that you were sharing. And they were just simple, tangible things that um, wasn't creating overwhelm, but was making people take notice of where we are now. And you are an authority um, on this topic because what you're experiencing. But the irony is uh, probably two days before that, I thought, no, can I reach out to that has a global platform that really can mobilize community you know get that deep engagement really you know empower people and it was you <laughs> so you can do it oh, I mean it's a, a meeting of the minds but also of you know diverse skill sets and I choose to see that this situation is asking us to think differently yes. and that that's a powerful thing. And I want to thank everyone out there for what they're doing and um, for spreading the word, for doing it tough. I, you know, I mean, I think myself and my colleagues, we've never been prouder to, we're just doing our job, you know, we're that make no mistake. That's not really changing. Um, and it, really what you're doing really matters and share some ideas about how we can get clever and creative about this i'm seeing some great things through some of our running community sites um so let's let's go viral uh well i appreciate your time for the second time i know how hard you work and the fact that you still are going to work so i i thank you for giving me two doses of you because 
Well, actually, you're quite a pleasure. And you also just remind me that let's just stay focused on the present. Mm. This will pass, but maybe what we learn in this moment now can be carried over into the future as well. So thank you for everything that you've had to give me and for the listeners um, to this podcast. Thank you very much. Sarah.